Yeah, good morning from my side. So we're starting a new series today. It's called It All Adds Up. It's three weeks long. And for those of you that like to attend church more than once on a Sunday, it's what I'm going to be speaking about tonight as well. So uh, be warned. You can just come for the worship. So uh, the Bible has a great deal to say about our money. If you've ever read the New Testament, you'll know there are lots of stories, parables about what we do with what we have. And so the first message in the series, I thought we would look at giving in the Old Testament. Giving in the Old Testament. In other words, if you're a devout Israelite, doing everything required of you from the law, as well as more, what, what would that look like for you? So that's what we're going to investigate, and then we'll land it in the New Testament. And as I said, we're not covering everything, because this is just a third of the series today. So what was expected of people in the Old Testament? What did they give? How much did they give? And why did they give? We must remember that the economy operated very differently back then. There were no house mortgages, credit cards, debit cards, cryptocurrencies. It was a rudimentary system of finance, perhaps silver coins, gold coins. In the time of Jesus, obviously, the Romans had a more advanced system. But it was very much a subsistence economy, and there was a lot of bartering that took place. But wealth is wealth whenever you're living. And it's interesting how wealth is measured here in the book of Job. It's not in U.S. dollars. His wealth is measured in how many cattle, how many sheep, and how many children he has. Of course, there was no inflation back then, and, uh, and the Jewish people were not allowed to charge interest. So they practiced what we would probably refer to today as Sharia banking, which, uh, yeah, it's just another way of doing things. But let's, let's apply our minds to the subject. What really was required of people who were godly and wanting to honor God with their wealth and with what they had? Well, the first way in which people gave to God was through animal sacrifices, believe it or not. Now, sacrificing animals in a ritual manner is not something many of us probably do, although there may be some of us here that are familiar with that. Most of us like our animals slaughtered somewhere we, we don't see anything. You know, we go to Woolies and there it is in cling wrap, all identified which part the blood's gone, it's all sorted, and that's how we like it. People don't really like animals getting killed in public because we saw what happened at Clifton Beach not too long ago. But the killing of animals, precious animals, valuable animals, was very much central to worship in the Old Testament times. And it's a comp complex subject, and we could s spend a, so a whole sermon on it, but we're not going to. But here's Job, after his kids have had a hard night of partying. What does Job do as a concerned parents when his kids have been going for it? Well, for each one of them, whenever they had a period of enjoying themselves, early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God. So this was 
the practice of a godly man, and many people did it, and it was done at home. You just took something that was valuable to you, and you just gave it to God. And you gave it to God by burning it to ashes. Now, this might seem foreign to us, but this is how it went in the Old Testament. And there were really five kinds of offerings that, that took place. There was the burnt offering. This was when you took a sheep or a goat or a calf, a cow, and you would, you would burn it right through the night, and in the morning there'd be nothing left. Then there was a grain offering. This is when you would cook some goodies, some bread with grain. You would take it into the, the temple, give some to the Levites. I bet they knew who the good cooks were and which stuff to avoid. But um, the, the, the biscuits and the breads would come in for the grain offering. They would eat it as the Levites, and then some they would burn and give it to God. There was the peace offering which was a little bit like a burnt offering, but you got to eat some of the meat, um, and you got to eat it with some of your friends. It reminds me somewhat of Holy Communion. You went off to the temple, you sacrificed an animal, you got to eat the ni nice parts, and you gave the not-so-nice parts to God. I didn't make that up. That's really what it says in Leviticus. The not-so-nice parts you, you burn completely, and that's part of the offering. And then there was the, the reparation offering, and you can read and learn all about these offerings yourself. Here's another example of how offerings worked. Remember when David moved the ark of God? He'd left it at a friend's house, Obed-Edom, uh, because... David was sulking because God had killed somebody when they touched the ark and they shouldn't have. So he said, look, I don't want this ark. You keep it. But then after a while, he discovered, hey, this guy's really getting blessed because he's got the ark with him. I think I will have the ark back. So to make quite sure God was pleased with him, every six steps they took, they sacrificed. Here is the verse. Every six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And you can only imagine when you're going on a few kilometers journey, if you stop every six steps to sacrifice a bull and a fattened calf, that's a lot of animals getting sacrificed. And that's David's way of showing God how much he honored him and revered him. It was that whole understanding of, of life. So at the heart of the idea of giving and sacrificing in the Old Testament was this idea of, I'm going to take something that's valuable to me, and because it's valuable to me, I'm going to give that thing to God, and that expresses my devotion to God. If it's not valuable to me, it, it doesn't really count as worship. So that's the first way in people gave in Old Testament times. The second way in which people gave was through tithing. Tithing is about giving 10% of your produce, what you've produced, and giving that to God. We read about tithing in Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Verse 32 of Leviticus 27. The entire tithe of the hurt, one-tenth, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, 
belongs to the Lord. So when the, the, the farmer was bringing his sheep into the pen and he'd be there with his staff, would be sheep number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you belong to the Lord. You go off that way. One, two, three, four, five, you get the idea. When I'm picking my apples off the tree, one, two, three, four, that's for nine, I keep ten, that goes to the Lord. So that's how tithing worked. Why did they have tithing back in the day? Let me explain it to you if you're not aware of it. Well, when the 12 tribes of Israel were brought into the land of Canaan and given the land, land was a portion to each one of the, the tribes. But there was one tribe that didn't get any land. That was the tribe of Levi because they weren't to be consumed with making a living and farming, they were to serve in the temple, often in shifts that lasted 24 hours a day. They were set aside to be in full-time ministry, and for that reason, the Levites were given no land. And in Numbers 18, the Lord spells it out for us. All the tribes have inheritance in the land, but hey, Aaron, you're going to have no share among the, the Israelites for the land. That's why I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance for the work that they do. So the Levite people set aside by God for ministry, they didn't get land. They couldn't farm. So instead, those that had been given land took a tenth of what they had and gave it to the Levites. And the Levites, in turn, were instructed to tithe what they got to the house of Aaron. A complicated process. There were actually more than one kind of tithe. Some have said there are about three different tithes that people had to give. So if you're thinking it was only 10%, you're wrong. The figure was definitely higher. Here's another tithe spoken about in Deuteronomy 14. And this was a bit of a shocker to me and a surprise when I was preparing yesterday. Do you know that one of the tithes the people gave, you got to eat yourself? Here it is, Deuteronomy 14.22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord. So there were multiple tithes, different tithes on different occasions in the calendar year, and one of them you even got to eat and have a little bit of a party with the Lord and your friends. Interesting. Just saying, there it is. Also, when it comes to tithing, the people that lived far away from Jerusalem couldn't be expected to sort of lug their sheep and cattle with them. I mean, imagine if you owned, say, 100 sheep, then you've got to take 10 with them. It was a bit of a battle to get 10 sheep, you know, 80 Ks or somewhere back in the day. So then you could cash them in, go to the temple, go to the money changes that Jesus didn't like, uh, swap your money back, get some animals in return and offer your sacrifices. So that's the second way in which devout, godly Israelites gave. The third way is through helping the poor. I think we tend to think of helping the poor as it's an act of mercy, and of course it is. But in Israelite times, helping the poor was almost like uh, 
a sacred responsibility. They called it giving alms. And even today, it's one of the five pillars of Islam, uh, zakat, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, the importance of giving to the poor and the needy. And here are just some of those scriptures where the Israelites were commanded to be generous and to help the poor. If there's a poor person among you in the land the Lord is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, but be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously and without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in your work and in all that you do. So giving alms was another way that godly people were expected to be giving of their, their wealth and finance and what they had. You know also when they, when, they, when they harvested a field, you had to leave the edges so that poor people, uh, you couldn't go over with the, the combined harvester more than once. You know, if you missed out a bit, you had to leave it so that there'd be stuff for poor people to eat. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about giving, he's talking about giving to the poor. It says, when you give to the needy, I sincerely doubt that later on in the history of the church, God's people were still giving money to the temple. After all, they'd been kicked out of there. So a lot of the giving that we read about that we're encouraged to do is to the poor. And I think in South Africa, we must remember how important it is that we are helping the poor. And as we go to the polls to vote, and I hope you all are going to show up and vote, that you will, you will vote for parties that, that will assist and help the poor. It's not just about what's best for some sector of society. And we all need to work out ourselves who that might be. So the poor had a special place in God's heart, and believers and devout people had a responsibility to help them. Then there were special projects that people got involved in and had to give to. Remember the, the building of the temple after it had been bashed down? It reminds me of the Middle Ages when people were trying to raise funds to build St. Peter's in Rome. You know, it was a massive project, a lot of Pressure was brought to bear on people. And we know that in the days of Nehemiah, people were saying, you're exploiting us. This is too much. We've had to sell our kids into slavery. This is terrible. So, so there was pressure on people to give and to contribute. And it was right that they gave and contributed. God speaks through the prophet Haggai when they're trying to build the temple. And he says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses, beautiful houses, while my house remains in ruin? And then there's this very powerful passage and description about how, although you're working hard, you have very little. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages. You put them in a purse with holes in it. God says, give careful thought to your ways. It's because you're, you're focused on yourself and feathering your nest instead of building what God is, is doing. And then there were taxes that the people had to pay. Remember, they lived under a theocracy. There was no uh, sort of 
SARS that you dealt with. You know, your giving uh, to the king was, was also part of your giving to the, the Lord because you were in this theocracy and, and there were so many rules and regulations. There were military taxes, the temple tax. And Samuel warns the people against getting a king. They said, we, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king to lead us, to lead the way. Samuel says, no, 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 you don't want a king. God is your king. You know, Yahweh is your king. He reigns over your people. He's enthroned. They're like, no, no, no. We don't, we don't want Yahweh as our king. We want a real king. Samuel says, not a good plan. He's going to take the best of your fields, expropriation of land without compensation. He will take a tenth of your grain. He will give it to his officials and attendants. We've seen a bit of that. Give it to his mates, jobs for pals. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become slaves. The people are warned against setting up big government and but they go for it anyway, and the Lord says, okay, just do it and suffer the consequences. So there was quite a lot of giving going on, if you're getting the picture. And it was all compulsory stuff. I'm not sure how the offerings worked. You know, did you cycle through the five? Okay, last week was a burnt offering. This week, let's try fellowship. I don't know how that all worked, but anyway. Then there were free will offerings. Free will offerings are a very interesting form of offering. These were offerings that you didn't have to do. But you did them on occasion because you just wanted to show the Lord how much you loved him and how grateful you were. And I was absolutely shocked by this. There was even a drink offering. You could literally go to the temple for a drink with the Lord. And it had to be strong drink, fermented. You'd sort of hold your cup, Lord, here's a drink for you, I'm having a drink, here's a drink for you, and you'd pour it out in the ground. It was a libation. It was a drink offering. There it is. I mean, the text is there, so you'd think I'm not making this stuff up. Then there were the wave offerings, nothing to do with surfing. A wave offering was when you brought in a sheaf of barley or wheat, whatever, you'd give it to the priest. He would wave it around a few times unto the Lord, and that was your free will offering. So you get the picture. There was lots of giving going on in Old Testament times. And whenever there's a lot of resources involved and wealth People get up to no good. Let me tell you how the giving sometimes went very bad. People would be looking at their sheep. One, two, three, four. Oh, that one's looking like it's on its last legs. It's near dead. I think I'll give that one to the Lord. Malachi says you'd never treat a, an earthly governor or guest like that. So why are you doing it to God? You bring blind animals for sacrifice. When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong, says the Lord? You know that before the Passover, you had to bring your little lamb into the house with you or have it close by. And for 10 days, you needed to get to know that thing. 
and, and make sure it was healthy and good because it was only something that you loved and valued and was healthy could be used as a sacrifice. But people were giving junk to God. And Malachi has to say, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Reminds me of David when he bought the Temple Mount, which of course wasn't called the Temple Mount back then. It was a threshing floor, a little hill in Jerusalem. And he goes over to, to purchase the threshing floor. And when he gets there, the guy says, ah, you can have it. And in fact, just here's some wood and here's a, a bull. You know, just it's all on me, David. No problem. You can have it. And David's response is, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David understands that if our giving is going to be worship, it has to cost us something. If it's not something that's valuable to us, it's not really worship because we're missing the point. Many times in the Old Testament, God's people neglected the poor. And so Isaiah has to speak and remind everybody, this is the kind of religious activity I want from you. It's not fasting and sacrifices. What I want to see from you, Isaiah 58, 7, it's to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Isaiah chapter 1, also he rails against sacrifices. Verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I've had more than enough of burnt offerings, rams, the fat. I have no pleasure in the blood. When you come before me, who's asked this of you, the trampling of my courts, etc.? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. I am weary of it all, says the Lord. And where is the Lord going with all of this? Learn to do right, verse 17. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. These are the kind of religious activities that really please God. By the way, Jesus himself practiced animal sacrifice, even at his birth. Um, two little pigeons were sacrificed for him. We read that in in Luke chapter 2, which shows that Jesus was actually poor. He didn't do a, a nice sacrifice of a sheep or something. He had to settle for two birds, which was on the cheap side. So how did things shift and change when we get to the early church? You'll be pleased to know that the, the sacrificing of animals has stopped. It has stopped. Aren't you pleased about that? And it has stopped because Jesus is our atoning sacrifices. And there are many verses that say that. 
1 John 4, 1 John 2, Paul in Romans 3, Hebrews 10 describes how Jesus is our sacrifice, our guilt offering, our sin offering, our burnt offering, our Passover lamb. But there is one sacrifice that we all do have to give to God. And it is a human sacrifice. And it is you. This is what Paul's getting on him. In Romans 12, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In the New Testament, we are to take that thing that is most valuable to us, our very self, and give that to God as a sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I was moved by this prayer of John Wesley's. I am no longer my own. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Great picture of a person who's a living sacrifice. What about tithing when we get to the New Testament? There is no longer a class of Levites needed to be supported by the 12 tribes, as it were. So what are we to make of tithing? How much of our money do we need to give back to God? And I've got the exact percentage for you today. If you've ever worried about this one, and is it 15, is it pre-tax, post-tax, gross, inheritances, you ever worried about all that stuff, here's the answer. It's 100%. Luke 14, verse 33. In the same way that Jesus is laying out the requirements of being one of his followers. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. The New American Standard makes it even clearer. None of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. There it is. A requirement for following Jesus is that you have to be a living sacrifice and all that you have must be put to use for the glory of God. Why does Jesus begin in the same way? What's the context for those of you that don't know? He's just said when you decide to become a Christian, you need to weigh up the cost. Don't be like the person building a tower that didn't check they had enough bricks and then started to build and run out of bricks. Don't be like the silly general who goes roaring into battle before first counting how many troops and guns you've got. Because then you come a cropper. Jesus says, before you become a follower of mine, just go through this checklist, whether you're really up for this. In the same way, any of you cannot, who does not give up everything he has cannot be one of my disciples. 
This hymn puts it well. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. God's not just interested in 10% of our money. God's interested in all we have and how we're using all that we have and all of our influence for his glory and his kingdom. In the New Testament too, we see that giving to the poor remained a priority for the church. Jesus addresses us. I've already referenced that. When you give to the needy, do it in secret. Don't make a big song and dance of it. John writes, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need but has no pity, how can the love of God be, be in them? When they have a big church-wide conference, they come away with what they need to do from Acts 15. And one of the things is we must remember the poor. We must remember the poor. And we know the early Christians loved each other. All the believers came together. There was no needy person among them. They sold properties to raise funds to, to distribute the money. I do just want to point out that some people wrongly see what's happening here as communism or even as a form of socialism. And I know there are many different forms of socialism. I get that. I understand that. But this is not forced sharing. And that's the problem with communism is somebody tells you to share because they're going to either, either share or I lock you up. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is people whose hearts are moved willingly sharing with others because they want to. Jesus spoke a lot about our responsibility to the poor. Think of the parable of the sheep and the goats. What makes us goats? It's because we don't visit people in prison. We don't help the sick. We don't feed the hungry. Look after the homeless. Think of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. How the rich man had a responsibility to help the poor man. And now that the tables get turned, things ain't so good anymore. And finally, and we in our series in the next three, two weeks, we'll unpack more of what our giving needs to look like. But supporting ministry and mission is something we need to be doing as followers of the Lord. Jesus himself said, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And just like God's people in the Old Testament times all had to rally together to support the Levites who worked full-time in the temple, so today, we must rally together to support those who are in full-time Christian ministry and who aren't able to be earning an, a living in another way because of their responsibilities. But much, much more of that later. A story in closing. It's from Mark 12, and this is what the sermon was meant to be about. Jesus sat down where they were giving the offerings. And many rich people threw in large amounts, 
often with a big song and a dance. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples over, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. What's one takeaway from this story and Jesus' observation and comment? God measures our giving not so much by what we put in, but by how much we keep for ourselves. Here was a woman who had hardly anything, but even the little she had, she gave it all. And giving is a very personal thing, and our circumstances are very different. And I'm not sure why she chose to give everything that day. Part of this temple was corrupt anyway. Maybe it was just an utter, reckless abandonment of herself to God. Lord, I have nothing. Here's my last two cents. I give it to you. Now please look after me. Maybe that was the, the spirit in which she gave. But however she gave it, Jesus commends her for giving out of her little and for giving so generously. As I conclude, have you given yourself fully to the Lord? Are you a living sacrifice dedicated to God? Do you understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, all that you have needs to be surrendered to him. I'm glad we've been reminded again today how high up on God's agenda helping the poor and the needy is. And I hope you've been reminded too how important it is that we be supporting ministry and mission and the things that God is doing in our community. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our atoning sacrifice, our guilt offering, our sin offering. Thank you that we have favor with God and with each other because of the sacrificial death of Jesus, because of his blood that got sprinkled on the mercy seat in the most holy place. Thank you, Lord, for restoration of relationship. And thank you for calling us into a relationship with yourself. And help all of us, Lord, to be faithful in our giving, to be sacrificial in our giving, to measure our giving the way you do. Help us, Lord, to care for the poor, the dispossessed, those suffering injustice. Help us to have soft hearts and open hands. And help us, Lord, to be passionate about ministry and mission and the, the projects that you're leading us to do. Lord, we surrender our lives to you afresh today. Here we are, Lord. We desire to be living 
sacrifices to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Just some housekeeping matters from my side. If you're looking for the deeper notes from Monday night, I think they're all going to be posted on our Connect Church Facebook page.